overcoming adversity Doing it at all costs, making wins are all lost Yeah, the world is all lost, all lost, yeah Ain't no turning back, we headed straight for the stars, yeah Oh yeah, we overcoming adversity Doing it at all costs, making wins are all lost Yeah, the world is all lost, all lost, yeah Ain't no turning back, we headed straight for the stars, yeah Oh yeah Coming to Diversity Podcast. It's all about a transformational growth mindset and being resilient. Before we get started, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. I'm your host, Michael Allison. And today we have on the show a really good friend of mine. He's a businessman, a husband, a father, and most important, a man of God. He has faced his own fair share of adversities from arrests, childhood trauma, and so much more that we'll get into for the show. Let's welcome to the show my good friend, Mr. James Graham. Welcome to the show, James. How you doing, bro? Good, man. How you doing today, Michael? I'm good, brother, man. Thank you so much for joining the show. I know um, we've spoken about this quite a few times, man, to uh, share your story. After you told me um, some of the things that you've been through yourself, I just thought that you had an amazing um, story that I think the world should um, hear. Um, if you was open to um, sharing that story. So I just want to tell you, bro, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming on this platform. I know you're going to make an impact once people hear all of the things that you've been through yourself and gotten through, man. So welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, man. It's my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me. It's really Absolutely, cool. man. Yeah. Let's jump into it, man. So like uh, you uh, got to a point now in the life, man, where like you're a man of God, you're um, serving him, um, you're helping leading in regards to like your groups, your business, your family, all these types of things. But I know that it was a struggle that you had in your life to get to this particular point. If you can share with us, bro, like um, a little bit about your upbringing and how you just got to this particular point in your life. All right. Uh, so I'm the youngest of three boys. Uh, my oldest brother is 15 years older than me. And then my other brother was a year and a half older than me. And uh, so I come from a father who was a military man. He's a old school military, uh, so he's 81 now, but mm -hmm. so he's been uh, been around. So like the, they're harder edged uh, from back in the day. He was a professional bodybuilder and um, a preacher, you know, and also a hairdresser. So it's kind of weird having that and a very loving mother who came from a large family of 13. Uh, my dad is uh, Scotch Irish. My mom is Spaniard and Indian. You know, like um, Mayan and Aztec kind of Indian, Mexican Indian. And then uh, so growing up, I, I went through a couple different neighborhoods, um, go through different schools, growing up in different neighborhoods, different schools. So, you know, the old tale of finding a, a new start in life every time you move kind of thing happening in neighborhoods. So um, tri trials with kids in the neighborhood kind of stuff, you know. And then eventually uh, moving back to the same neighborhood. So we moved out west at one point, and then we moved back to the original neighborhood we moved away from. And um, so I was bounced around from different school districts, and I never really got a grounding on who my true friends were until later on in life. And even they turned out to not be like true friends. They were just evil companions or uh, co-signers or uh, people that you did dumb stuff with as kids that grew up to be uh, dumber adults. <laughs> I was one of them. So... Uh, my brother, when I was uh, younger, my brother and I, my youngest brother, or I'm the youngest, but my middle brother and I went to a Christian camp one year. And uh, one of the gentlemen from the camp came back to the neighborhood 
and uh, moved into the house with us after he had left another house with some other young boys in it. And um, the warning wasn't heard uh, that he was mistreating them. And then he came into our house and well, we fell into that as well. And um, so I was molested as a child by this individual. And it turns out I was also molested by my older brother's friends, which was 15 year older brother friends um, as a really young child, you know? So I have these damaging memories um, and I've got things that I can't remember that I know I experienced kind of like weird stuff, but, um, and then later on in the church, <clears throat> um, my father being the man that he was had a lot of, you know, air quote, godly men around him. But, you know, I used to see the, the way they lived life outside of that. And a lot of the people that I got growing up with, I, I realized I didn't, um, necessarily like the persons that they were, they weren't they, in, in my eyes and the way that I thought today. You know, as a kid, it was different, but today I wouldn't look at them as like very godly or loving people. You know what I mean? It's probably why a lot of the damages that I suffered today um, or suffered from before this started happening with me um, came from some very um, prestigious people, so to say, you would think, you know, men of God in the church kind of thing. So I have a mixed feeling about that. So I got mad at God at a young age. I got mad at people. Um, I was hurt, you know, and um, so in school, it showed in school too. Like <laughs> I grew up uh, going through these schools, but like I was afraid of uh, God taking everybody away in the rapture. <laughs> and <I'm laughs> alone. So I literally would like freak out thinking that like my whole family is going to disappear. So I grew up with the anxiety as a kid and um, that, that faded away over time, of course, you know, but somewhere along the line, I got mad enough to where I was like, I don't care. You know, like, um, I used to seek my older brother out if I knew he was in the same school and the same, you know, have the principal take me so I could look inside the classroom to make sure that he was still there, you know, because if he was there, then like my family's here. God didn't take everyone, you know, <laughs> I would relax, you know, but uh, that as a child can scare the crap out of you, you know what I mean? So I, you know, my brother used to mess with me too because he'd hide at home and <laughs> he wouldn't let me know where he was and I'd think everybody <laughs> was gone, you know, but uh, that's just him being fun, but uh later on in life uh growing up we moved back into the neighborhood that we originally moved from so one two three kind of move you know original house being born in house that we moved to my dad went through a really bad depression took us out of our neighborhood and moved us miles and miles away but still in the same state and then we came back to the original neighborhood and um he moved us back over there too so he went through a really bad depression my mother went through that with us trying to be the supporter of the family and stuff he got cancer and he got really sick and that's that that plagued him for years and years and years um multiple different surgeries and he went from looking like the hulk to like uh you know the broom with uh, clothes on it you know wow. that's heartbreaking you know because he was the the world's strongest man to me you know growing up and then i saw him just over time disintegrate you know because at one point in time he was a bodybuilder state champion three different states all together he came second, you know, so it's like, this is somebody that like, when I looked at him, I, I not only did my dad re represent Superman, he, he looked like Superman, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people growing up around me were, they were afraid of my father because he was just this massive dude, you know, and um, I got upset because when, uh, when I was a kid, he couldn't protect me from those things, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, it sucked, you know, because he had trust issues with people that he thought he trusted and whatnot, you know, but, um, Later on, moving back into the neighborhood, uh, I found myself in positions where my skin color wasn't accepted 
you know, we got, I got jumped by uh, some skinheads in the neighborhood. I watched my brother get his jaw broken by the same kids. Um, and those kinds of things, feeling helpless, you know, and at the same time, you know, but like my dad actually being a preacher and a big man, you know, kind of like intervened in some way. And uh, with the neighbor that we had where I got beat up by the kids, um, they actually went to their home <laughs> and threatened them with guns. And uh, so like, I was like, yeah, cool. Thanks, dad. You know, but uh, so it's a lot of unhealthy kind of behaviors, you know what I mean? That we think are like, you know, this is the way you should do it. You know, it's, it's really not, you know, but um. This is what I grew up understanding, you know, and uh, if uh, growing up is I was small, so I'm like five, six, you know, and uh, right. I had to fight a lot, you know, but my my dad took us and put us in martial arts. I grew up going to high school wrestling and all these things, you know, and I thought that's the way that it was. But my dad's words acknowledged me as like, dude, if you're going to fight, hit him in the nose. If they can't see you, they can't fight, you know, and then they put me in karate and all these other things. And I, I just went the wrong way with it, you know, and I got in a lot of trouble for that. But um, later on in life, uh, my middle brother, he uh, he died. He got killed on my my surfboard. Um, I had at this point in life, um, my teenage years uh, had started selling drugs and uh, I found the people that I got my drugs from to sell in church. I actually went to church with them, you know, so this is a very weird way to have life presented to you you know what i mean and it really didn't help because of the neighborhood that i lived in they sold crack across the street from my house literally so it's like you know okay you know but um so grew up surfing in the water as growing up as a surfer and a lifeguard the neighborhood i grew up in there was the the homeboys and the crew and then we went to church and everything was uh everything was great but it was all it was all very um None of it was, it was all uh, like a pot, like everything was all in this old melting pot. It sounds like, yeah, dude. People used to describe me as like um, a pit bull and a chihuahua mixed together, you know. And <laughs> after everything was done, I was like lassie because like I had heart enough to care to pray or to help, you know, because you get a guilty conscience when you go through certain things. Um, and then again, I didn't want to go to hell, you know, so it was a really strange feeling. Um, my brother dies, and then I end up, uh, tail spinning for almost 20 years um that was the apex thing for me to go and uh i didn't care about life after that because i felt responsible for that you know like uh his parting words to me like the morning that he left actually he got i got he looked at me he says uh christian am i gonna be okay my middle name's christian he said am i gonna be okay and uh, he's my older brother looking at me asking me if he's gonna be okay you know and i was like yeah dude uh you're in god's hands i mean his eyes look like marbles he wasn't there. I lost him somewhere along that journey he was on, whatever he was on at the moment. And um, I kissed him on the forehead and I said, I loved him. And uh, it's pretty much the last time I saw my brother. I got my surfboard back. But I didn't get my brother back and I didn't go oh. with him. I should have gone with him because that's like one of the guilt things that we hold. Like, because that's something that we did together as brothers, you know? And uh, so for years I held on to that and it, it, it was crippling inside. It would, choke me up I, I, you get that little apple inside there and it's like you just can't swallow and it sucks man because you can't breathe you can't swallow you can't feel you just and you get mad like you don't know what to do with these emotions you don't know where to go with this feeling this pain and, and then it starts hitting in different areas it, like affects other people it affects jobs it, and then uh then of course if you get drugs and alcohol involved at that point it's um because they were already there you know right it, it, they just got worse you know and then i started picking up uh DUIs and um, certain situations that I would get into. I mean, I had I had dropped out of high school and um, 
so was my brother. He dropped out of high school, but uh, he was really smart. It was really crazy how smart he was. He was almost, I guess you would say on paper, he was a genius, you know, but then like he just lost it because of everything that had happened. And uh, he just disappeared into like a, a realm of like, he's no longer there, you know? So I got mad about that and then he died, you know? And then of course I struggled with my schooling. It turns out that they just didn't know how to teach me, but I was really smart too. You know, but I had different things because I didn't have any care for anything anymore. So I just dropped out of school and then I ended up going to jail. 11 months after my brother died, I flew through a car window from a car accident in my own car, um, which is crazy because I drive through that street all the time. But I died on the scene. I broke my neck and broke my back, got ejected out of my own car at like 80 miles an hour. You would think that would stop people from doing stuff like that, but it just kept going. So those moments where you think life would change um they didn't come for me because yeah, i i didn't care i didn't think anything was going to matter anyways the crazy thing is is like i'm one of those people that i guess i could pay attention to my dreams or like they just you know I, I, a couple nights before that i had a dream like i was floating outside of my car and there was a voice i was like i'm i'm coming home i'm going to heaven to see my brother and the voice put me back in the car and he said no it's not your time i was like dude this it sucks you know <laughs> well <laughs> sure enough sure enough uh I remember flying through the car window and smashing through a, some double limo tent because I had a Camaro and I was in the passenger side. I let one of my friends drive because I was too messed up, but yet he was still good enough to drive. He was just, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, we got hit and T-boned at an intersection that he ran. And um, I remember flying through the window thinking, you know, hey, I'm coming home. I'm going to die. It didn't happen. That same voice from that dream said no no you're not you're gonna you're not coming home right now it's not your time i landed on the street and i did a bunch of like 18 cartwheels with my face and my head and uh, my back and everything else and i got covered with the blue sheet on the uh on the pavement and um one of my buddies was holding me when they took took him took him away and took me away and covered me with the sheet and he was covered in my blood and um a firefighter saw my foot twitch or something you know and they realized i wasn't dead so uh when i went to the hospital and i remember them asking me questions in the paramedic and uh, on the ride there i was going you know it was pretty close to a hospital when it happened unfortunate for me but um they were asking who's the president and i was like ronald reagan and i don't it's not ronald reagan i think i was born during reagan's <laughs> <laughs> i was out there you know but um yeah the stuff that comes out of our mouths but like my head was bleeding Mm -hmm. and uh, my body was broken and i was really messed up and uh, they didn't have my blood but i can remember hearing the doctor tell my parents who were able to show up at that moment um that i was going to die because like i they didn't they didn't have any blood for me my, my dad was like uh, i'm an o you can have my blood you know <laughs> yes yeah, so that's kind of kind of messes with me right now because uh after everything i put them through still he's willing to uh still be my dad still love me right. you know when i couldn't love myself and that's um that's deep you know because i yeah. <laughs> but the blood stopped bleed the blood stopped coming out of my head you know i got this like chicken foot scar back here it's covered by some long hair you know and i got some all this skin right here is new it's it's all grown over and you know my body actually healed um i had to learn how to walk again how to use my motor skills i was smelling colors I was tasting things when nothing was in my mouth, you know, just really weird stuff, you know, and then my head got jarred around so much, you know, but um, 
you think that would stop. You think that would be a moment, right? Well, no. I ended up uh, still having problems, still getting DUIs, still getting drugs and stuff. But um, I got into some really bad uh, places with some people and um, they tried to take my life. And I ended up, I got a metal rod for a femur. Uh, I got a metal ankle and all came from certain things. And that just enabled me to go out to uh, get more doctor's prescriptions. And that finally led into um, the misuse of pills, but the access to it, insurance and all these things. And it got a really dark, um, really depressing, you know, and then I was um, manipulating my family doctor into giving me all sorts of stuff. And it was just too easy, you know, and when that, when that went away, um, cause I had a healthy cocaine habit as well, as well as drinking and everything else. And, um, and then, but I had the right people around me to get those wrong things. So were they the right people? You know, uh, they were just... everything was wrong, you know? So, um, I ended up getting into some, some really bad areas with that suicide attempts. Um, ended up going to the hospital for mental health a bunch of times you know, and uh, it got to a really dark place. And I just stayed there for quite some time. And I didn't like where I was, but I didn't know how to get out. And then at this point in time, I was also very dependent on a lot of those chemicals. And uh, that that in its own is its own battle. That's really hard to come off of a lot of those things. And it, the pills wasn't even where it stopped, you know, and it wasn't just ended with uh, cocaine. I mean, I went straight to heroin. I was smoking crack and I was doing all the other things as well, you know, and uh, that's what I thought I was going to end up doing and ending in like, there was no, there was nothing else after that, you know, and that was pretty bad. But, um, all along the time, you know, it's like I had a job at the Ritz Carlton. I, jo I had jobs with brokerage firms, you know, as a high school dropout, get a job at the Ritz Carlton or brokerage firms with a felony background, you know, anything's possible, you know, so uh, anything's possible, dude, anything is possible, you know what I mean? And it's crazy what we can do, even if we're messed up, you know, right. and it's even better to know that like. You know, people say, like, once you stop doing things in life that are screwing you up, you know, the real life shows up and you can enjoy it, you know. And I was like, I just never thought I'd be older than 25, then I reached 30, then I reached 35, then I reached 40, now I'm 43. And I've got some some battle scars from it. I got some aches and pains, but, you know, it's like um, life is actually a lot more of a blessing and it's cooler today. And it seems to be that I was searching for this the whole time, you know, I just... Honestly, I had to uh, go to some programs. I had to go to jail, almost prison. But um, I had to learn how to forgive God, forgive myself. People say, why did you have to forgive God? Well, because I blamed him for everything. And if I didn't forgive him for it, you know, how could I get past it? Even though he's not the one that was responsible for it. He had, he's actually the one that kept me alive through it all, you know. Exactly. But I, uh, I had to go through a lot of craziness, you know, a lot of uh, painful stuff not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, um, and socially, you know, right. believe it or not, like, uh, when you, when, when I go through these things and I look at life today, like I, I go to clients' houses, you know, I get like, I, I go around individuals that would never look at you and think that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you were to tell them, they'd be like, well, you know, oh, they only know you as you now, you know what I mean? They don't know this person or your background, where you came from. 
you know, and then um, you catch them off guard if you get the opportunity to really open up to one. And it's very guarded if you do. You just give them little tidbits and like, oh, my gosh, this is so wonderful, you know. But at the same time, you're like, man, inside of you or inside of me, when I'm saying these things, I'm like, I'm still trying to believe that I'm not that person anymore. You know, that's one of the things I know that I have to get myself to understand like change does happen that transformation happens you know what i mean like revelation yeah. happens Tra um, i think transformation happens i think revelation happens and i think um you know god showed up for you as um as i'm hearing your story and you're telling me all of these things that you've been through you know i'm just like by the grace of god bro like he's been there for you like every second every moment um you're still his child and um that's amazing if if we can bro you just gave me a lot <laughs> that's a lot i know that the listeners is gonna be like man this guy has been through a lot of tremendous things um let's unpack some of these things here i was taking some notes down and uh i was like all right dad served in the military preacher mom um you had a some brothers, and then he, somebody um, entered your life and um, and um, assaulted you. I, I wanted to touch a little bit on that part right there as we uh, move a little bit forward. If you can tell me um, when that took place, um, how was that reaction um, through your mom and through your dad um, in regards to you, like either bringing that to their attention and um, removing this person out of your, you guys' life, out of your life? So my parents didn't even really know about that happening until years later uh -huh. the individual that was in our home that whole thing resolved itself and he ended up leaving uh a grown man should not lay with the, a boy that's not absolutely not certain things shouldn't be done you should never get touched you should never touch somebody a certain way you know but um unfortunately this happened and it actually happened by another individual before him i was eight when this actually started happening the summer of um 88 i think is after we came back home from this summer camp this place where you're supposed to be around trusted people but you know um and before that it was uh old uh, uh my oldest brother's friend one of them um and actually something happened with me and another little boy and we got caught and uh, see the things that we were doing to each other is like six-year-olds don't know these things. Right. Who taught you this? You know, right. so, uh, yeah, so those kinds of things. And um, that would plague my mind, you know what I mean? Because it would also put false thoughts inside my head. Like, are you a homosexual? Not saying that there's anything wrong with you if you are, but like it would make me feel insecure about myself, you right. know, and um, for a long time. And I think that's part of where some of the rage came from. You know, because it, it began at a very, very early age. But um, the situation itself resolved as this individual left. And it wasn't just sexual abuse that happened with that. Um, there was a couple of times where we'd be driving down the road and he'd play chicken with the semi. And uh, he literally scared the everything crap out of us. And it wasn't just me. It was other kids in the car. And uh, it was pretty. I've, ne I've never heard of playing chicken with a semi. I heard of Russian roulette. So tell me. What is this? I, I never heard that. You ever you ever seen two kids play chicken on bicycles where they come at each other and if one of them doesn't swerve, they they hit. You know that's called chicken, a game of chicken. Oh, you know what I mean? Like okay. almost like a head-on collision, 
Okay. And he's got this itty bitty little car with six of us packed in there. And uh, I'm sitting in the back and he loses his temper yelling at somebody just manically freaking out on a two lane highway. And there's a semi coming and at the last minute swerves out of the lane and runs off the road and stops the car. And, you know, dude, we're like, we're like nine, you know, our mm-hmm. whole life of the whole nine years just went through, you know what I mean? Which you don't have many memories. You just freaked out, you know, and this is the individual that like parents trusted their kids with, you know, and um, yeah, that, that actually really sucked, you know? Yeah. That's, so, that's wild, man. Um, if you can, man, uh, tell me a little bit about like, uh, your relationship what was that like with um your mom and dad while you was growing up um, while you was going through the this uh, traumatic experience it was as loving as it could be i mean my dad tried to be the most loving that he could loving dad that he could he couldn't really relate um you know because his thing was like he wanted to work out with weights and he was mm-hmm. a bodybuilder and he, he spent a lot of time in the church and um he spent a lot of time also in depression you know and so there was there was no like uh playing football or riding bikes together. You know, uh, I don't remember too much of that. He, you know, as a little kid, he'd play, play with us in the pool or he'd push us on the swing, you know, at a park. But um, that kind of faded away after a while. But like he did his best as a dad, you know, but um, my mother was also, uh, she was the, the strong one when things were rattled in his area, you know, and she did the best that she could. But uh, neither one of them, were ever able to help me with my homework you know um i think that was a generational thing because mm-hmm. of the, you know it just wasn't there um so the relationship was I, my oldest brother ended up raising us a lot of the time and he's 15 years older and then when when we were younger he uh, he got sent to the military and then uh, i didn't see him for a good 10 years and then he shows back up kind of thing five years or something like that but um so the relationship with my my father and mother even though it was loving it was um it was absent you know they weren't there as much as they wanted to be or could be and then when they were there they didn't know how to interact like um parents would i guess so if you could um how did you respond um, emotionally to um, this going on with, in your life um, with your parents? And then in addition to that, um, you lost your brother. And you were mentioned that you um, had a lot of guilt or that was going on with you. You yeah. know, um, now this, this is an, an impact on the entire family. You know what I mean? So if you can tell me a little bit about like, um, what was that time period in your life like for you and your family? During that time period, my mother and father were spending a lot of time on the road, going to different churches and stuff. And my brother and I had um, become very popular in the neighborhoods. There was a lot of kids around, a lot of friends. Um, I used to sell a lot of pot so pot to my friends to my brother's friends and all that so at any given time there was always 12 to 10 to 15 kids at the house and we weren't kids we we're young adults um and then uh my mother and father they at this point realized it was better to have us safe at home instead of out running around 
getting caught. So they're just like, just here, here's the house, you know, just, right. you know you're going to do whatever you want, you know, just do it here, you know, where you're safe. And, uh, so they had, they had been gone and um, my brother and I, and then when, when he, when he died, um, it devastated my father and my mother and uh, me as well. But um, my mother's sister came to comfort her. My dad was going his through his emotions. And then like, of course, my friends showed up, you know, so we were in the back room and then they were in the main house. And then I punched through a glass window and I cut my thumb off. Um, and then they sewed that back on. So um, how did I end up dealing with it? I, I didn't, you know, and the crazy thing is, is when I, I still have to talk to my aunt about this one, because when, when she came down to visit and console my mother, you know, she got mad at me. She's like, why are you acting like this? Don't you know that your mother just lost her son? And I was like, bitch, that was my brother. Sorry. That, that was my brother. You know, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. Who am I? I'm, I'm my non-existent, you know, yeah. like that was my, you know, that was my other half. I used to tell people there's two sides of a coin, you know, and uh, my brother was one side of a coin and I was the other, you know, you had a yin and a yang and you have a hot and a cold, you know, you have a good and a bad. And uh, my brother was always really kind. He was always really nice, really fun. And um, I wasn't so much, you know, so um, when I lost him, I lost that gauge of uh, humanity, you know, and um, it just went away. And how do we deal with it? We didn't not the right way you know i ended up going to jail right after that because i violated probation i was on probation for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and uh, sure enough my brother showed up there to uh the the pacifist that he was showed up there to help me you know i was like what are you doing here he's like man i'm i'm here for you mm -hmm. it was odd man like he would show up at different places where he knew i was at he'd be like i'm here for you i was like bro you gotta go you'll get hurt here you'll probably get killed if they you know just leave you know because he didn't he wasn't that natured person but when he died how did we handle it as a as a family you would think healthily but i don't think anybody handles death healthy you know but how did i handle it um i shut down i went i i, I was like you know what if this is it then all you guys you know i hate to say it like that but it was like screw the world mm -hmm. you know? um and then life just started to like get blurry so to say at those moments, 11 months after my brother's death on the same day, um, I flew through the car window and I died on the scene. Here's the crazy thing for years, for over 20 years, this is what's been on my heart. And that day of my brother's death, it was absolutely horrible. You know, October 17th to the 20th, um, 1998, you know, my daughter, God's given me a gift with my little girl in life, is born October 20th. Mm. How am I supposed to deal with that kind of emotion? Mm. The day that my brother died, my daughter gets born 20 years later. I've hated that day for my whole life. Now I'm forced to love it and a little present, you know? I think he showed up for you, man. And um, yeah, kind of was a message like uh, your brother's in a good place. Oh, yeah. And um, he delivered you a gift to put a smile back on your face. You know yeah. what I mean? Hey, man. So 
we're going to transition here a little bit, but I did want to talk about something here. So you said uh, addiction was a thing for you, suicide attempts, and all those are like some real profound type of struggles. So if you can, man, um, tell me a little bit about like um, this melting pot situation that took place, you know, like everything was, you're dealing with the people that was in your church. You're dealing with the people in your neighborhood and you were seeing them and there was a whole bunch of things going on. Then um, you said that at some particular point, um, there was some stuff with some skinheads and um, that started affecting you. At what point in your life dealing with these guys, did you say like, I need to leave this situation or get out of this situation um, and just uh, try to do something else or do something better? I really didn't see a way out for a long, a long time. Um, so after my brother died, I had, I almost died. And then I went to jail. When I got out of jail, um, I came back to an empty house. And then like the, the things changed. Like uh, one of my best friends moved in. And I thought I'd start, you know, living life of somewhat of a better way like that. Because his twin brother got killed a year before that. And we all knew each other. So he became my, he became my fill-in brother. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, I think that's when I, I wanted to actually start living. Uh, I just didn't know how. Mm-hmm. You know, what I was doing was not the right kind of way of living. And eventually, six months to a year after that, I moved out of that house. I think it was about a year after that. That's when I got a job at the Ritz Carlton. You know, and I still was still was like I was not a good employee. <laughs> <laughs> I had the overnight position, so it's like, yeah, me and the valet would be out tearing up on the streets with somebody's car. I don't know who it was. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. But um, I think that's when life started changing into like this is adulthood, right? Know? And um, I it was um, that was 2020 till about 22, and then um, I moved in with the guy from the Ritz. His name was Michael. And uh, he was a good friend until until things started changing on that end, too. Like, he ended up, some really bad stuff happened to him, too. You know, so, like, he's no longer uh, around. I think he's still in prison. But, um, so, uh, and then at the age of, like, 25, um, it gets really blurry, bro. Like, uh, that's, I was drinking extremely heavy, you know, doing a lot of cocaine and a lot of pills. And, um, but I know that I was no longer, uh, a kid, you know, and I just didn't talk about like, uh, I didn't talk about what I had grown up like, you know what I mean? And I had made new friends. Um, of course they were all just as sick as the other friends I just had, you know, they're, they just came with different faces, you know, but, um, while I would get locked up, they would give us the opportunity to go check out um aa or like uh find a way to get help classes you know see therapists all this stuff and you know i wanted to know why i was so so uh twisted at that moment you know and i didn't want to feel the way i felt anymore either like because there's nothing cool about being a um a grown man um knowing that you're so messed up inside that when you sleep you cry you know 
and that sucked because like uh i'd be crying in my dreams because i'd be either having flashbacks of, like what i was going through or like i'd be seeing my brother and i couldn't talk to him he wouldn't hear me you know but like there was a lot of pain inside there and uh so like those those are the things that still kind of stick with you as you go through time even though your places can change mm -hmm. the around you can change your scenarios can change lots of things can change but what's inside of you or what's inside of me was still there and it was still the same and it was still drawing me to want to not feel that way anymore um so and it it came in phases of like uh release you know it came in phases of like um looking into like myself what i could do to help myself you know um who i could put myself around you know because the, the places i was putting myself around were not were not healthy so i had to change that you know i had to change i couldn't go to the bars couldn't you know hang out with certain individuals you know when i got home from wherever i was at incarcerated or whatever program i was in i had to empty the house out and uh, find all the secret little stash places that i used to put stuff in and throw that away too you know what i mean to really be honest with it you know because like in the back of my head i'm like man i want to throw all this stuff out of except for that you know, i mean leave some of those you know uh, you know three o'clock in the morning you know when you're pretty bored or when you know you're not feeling okay you know you're you're a little your little dude in the back of the head's like oh you remember that one spot you yeah. didn't you know just because of this let's go get that you know and then off to the races you go for another eight months you know and then, uh, yeah so um so um you went to jail and um i've heard quite a few different people's story about um jail what was uh being locked up or going to jail what if you could share what was that like and um did you learn any lessons in there um as you was getting ready to to get out and stuff yeah not good ones um that's where i met one of my first illegal business partners in that's where I learned what they call uh, an elevated level of game. And that's where I would see a lot of my other friends when they weren't in the neighborhood, you know. But at the same time, I learned that it's straight misery in there. You know what I mean? And it's like I would I would go in there and um, I would literally think that uh, this was this. This is why I don't ever want to get caught. I, I didn't think that this is why. I should change my life. I should switch what I'm doing because I'm ending up in here every time or the hospital. No, I'm, my, my brain was still messed up. It's like, I'm not going to get caught doing this again. You know, I don't want to get caught doing anything. But my mother would let me know that when she, when, when I was in jail, they, um, they slept at night, they had peace. Um, so what did I learn when I went to jail? I was like, when I, when I went to jail, my, uh, my family was at ease. You know, because uh, it's very hard for me to either get killed or uh, die or do something extremely devastating to where I'd end up never around again. So they get they got some rest. And I learned that in jail that like um, there is no there is no comfortable place. There is no good food. There's there's nobody you can really trust. There's no love, you know, and there's no life. Not like that, you know, and uh, but it took me a long time to learn that because um, I kept going back, you know, and uh, not only that, I, I kept taking things from in there out and trying to use what I learned in there, done in there out here 
and it was a vicious cycle. Um, I, I know now today that uh, that's not the place I ever want to spend any more time in. Um, it's cold. It's uh, it's dirty. You know, I don't like the psych ward. Believe it or not, the jail has a jail under it, and I've been there too. And they take all your clothes and they stick you in a solid brick block room with nothing but a green mat that you can't tear or eat or do anything with you know so i know that it can get worse that's what i learned about jail it can get worse just wow. like in life you know um so you're on the street they almost pronounced you dead or if not pronounced you dead and they've seen your feet moving you find yourself in the hospital and um, you needed blood from your dad. Once you came to and you realize you're alive and you're living and God gave you another chance to live, tell me about what uh, started resonating with you once you was there in the hospital. Um, well, my head stopped bleeding so they didn't have to transfute you know, they didn't have to do a thing with my dad for blood. Um, when I got home from the hospital, man, all I could do was weep. It was sad, dude. It was super, super painful. And it was also um, really, really empty inside. There was a void. There's just like this black hole inside of my chest. There was a pit. The food I ate, I couldn't even taste it. That's how bad things were. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but like there was no color. You see how colorful your hat is? To me, it could have been black and white. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like the hat, by the way. <laughs> there was nothing. There was nothing, man. It was um it was pretty crappy, dude. I got you, bro. Hey man. So I'm gonna transition here, man. I um I know that you're a man of God. I know that you changed your life. So at what particular point of you going through all these things here, bro, I, um, I have here, you lost your senses, anxiety, molested, suicide, fights, drugs, bad business deals, um, life in a tailspin, guilt, unforgiveness, at what point did you say, let me break the bottle with all of these things that I'm bottled in and say, I'm going to change my life? At what particular point in your life did this come to um, fruition for you? I want to say I can put an instance on it is seven years ago. Um, no, eight years ago. So eight years ago, I, I had left. I was. Uh, I had left jail out of a program to avoid going to prison, and then I went to another place that was like this uh, religious kind of halfway or whatever. And then um, from from there, I left there and then I went to a, a year long program. And um, it was a very religious program. But I can remember at that moment, I didn't no longer want to I needed uh, I needed something and I was like, it, it, whatever I got to do is what it's going to do. So it was like seven years ago eight years ago, um, I decided to go and do this one program, which actually, um, 
they still kicked me out um, two months, two weeks before graduation. But um, so I did it almost for a full year. But that's when I know that I made the actual I'm going to try to do something for myself, you know, mm-hmm. and do something hard, you know. And I also knew that um, I needed to be rewired. I needed to have um, the connection parts in here taken out and then screwed around, redid this and put back together and shoved back in there because what I was thinking on and what I was using for logic was, uh, it was not good, you know, and it didn't work, you know? So I want to say eight years ago. Um, I I don't know if I'm allowed to say program names or stuff, you know what I mean? But it was a very, it was a very difficult place for me to be at. Um, because one, a lot of the exterior problems that I still dealt with were still at this kind of environment out there in the middle of the sticks of like a country bumpkin kind of place um here i am um brown skin tattoos look like a homeboy uh talk like a surfer dude and um pray like a christian you know what i mean <laughs> i was you know what i mean and so uh and the, everybody else around there had boots blue jeans and plaid on you know so i still had to deal with some stuff you know but um I knew that if I could apply myself into this area with what they had there, because I heard good things about it, because there were some people in my life still that were fighting for me. Um, one of the pastor friends of my dad actually went through this program many, 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 many years back. And he's one of the people that I actually admired, looked up to. I saw the change in him. He lived a rough enough life to talk to me about things that I could relate to. So I would listen to him. And he said he, he did this. And I was like, dude, if this guy can do it and he's living life like this now, I want a piece of that, you know? So I went there and I did that. And that's, I think that's when it started. I think that's really actually started. So how do you find motivation and inspiration to keep on going during like tough times as um, you've made this transition in your life? Motivation and inspiration, right? So like motivation for me, is uh is twofold one i I get motivated because i know that if i stay stagnant i'll get depressed i'll get sore i'll get like weak you know like physically it'll make me not you know i don't want to lay around a whole lot Mm -hmm. you know so i'll get up and move you know but like i'll get i'll I'll be motivated because i want to do things that like i'll i'll make time for that if i go out and get up and work now i can do those things and it's not even really for me it's for my family because if they're having fun, then I'm having fun. If they're enjoying life, then I'm enjoying life. You know, inspiration comes in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like from the people we see around us, you know. Bro, I'll be honest with you, dude. Physical things don't really attract me so much. It's the fact that when somebody wants to look you in the eyes and you can do that, that to me is inspiring. You know what I mean? When somebody genuinely smiles or they give you a good handshake or a hug, you know what I mean? Those kinds of things really mean something to me. It's cool to have nice cars and big house and all these things but that's not the real of it you know um the the real inspiring people that i have in my life i mean they've got some of these things of course but they've got something inside that i want you know they want they have peace they have confidence they have love you know they got joy they got you know lots of the things that i i struggle to try to get in my life that i thought was going to come with this gold necklace or this nice car you know and this this money in my pocket none of that crap gave any you know but these people have it. So that's what I find inspiration in, you know, like um, the true gifts, you know, right. 
So, and it's really weird just because I'm not like Dalai Lama or Buddha or whatever, you know what I mean? But it's like, bro, those are the things that I actually wanted this whole time that I was seeking out that I couldn't really see because uh, I was too inebriated or I was too jealous or too uh, selfish, you know, whatever it might have been. You know, there was too much of something in front of me for me to be able to see what I actually really truly wanted and needed were both the mm -hmm. same thing, you know? So uh, how did all of these uh, experiences help shape um, your characters now, your character about yourself and um, the values that and the morals that you live by now today? All these experiences that I had, how do they shape me, my values? First of all, man, like I can see some dangerous things before anybody else can. You know, I hate to say it like that. You know what I mean? It was like, I won't drive down that street. You know, it's not necessarily a street. You know what I mean? It was like certain things. You get this intuition and it's like, you know, and I'm not saying that I grew up on the hard streets of anywhere. You know what I mean? I've just been in some bad stuff, you know, because right around the corner from the neighborhood that I was born in, there's million dollar homes. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's just the way I grew up, I think, uh, formed me into a person who has some pretty, pretty good intuition. You know what I mean? Like I can see some things sometimes. And also when I'm speaking with somebody, you know what I mean? I can relate to their, to where they're at, you know? Um, and also it's like, uh, it's really weird because like, you know, that feeling that you get that you're no longer stuck in that realm, you know, and it's more about the intuition, I guess, you know, what I lived through, um, how I deal with experiences today, uh, it took a lot of work to take away my my quick reactions of anger or like uh, my my prejudice on things. You know what I mean? Like my first impression of things, you know what I mean? It's like I would think immediately and I'd be stuck with that opinion no matter what without giving something a chance, you know, without being open minded or open eared to listen to and find actually finding out the truth behind something and finding out it's completely wrong to start with, you know, so and being able to see how people are as uh, individuals and like my perception of things is never or, or it wasn't ever really truly correct. So through patience and like um, being able to be open and listen to somebody talk or like explain what's going on and I see a situation better, you know, and that's helped me draft. That's, that's helped me a lot, you know, to understand how to like interact with people, you know, um, kindness is a big thing too. You know I mean, you get a lot with a, a genuine smile, you know, so I think that answers some of that question for you. Yeah. What I was going to also follow up is, um, so how do you, what kind of strategies that, um, James have in place? So you may be having a bad day or whatever it may be. So like, what are some strategies? What are some, um, techniques that you put into place for like, um, self-reflection, self-care, um, your own personal well-being, your own personal men mental health, um, your own personal peace of mind. What, what are some things that you put in place to make sure that you're in the right space um, and good headspace? So if I want to be in good headspace, man, I, I keep aware of like what I let into my head. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't listen, I don't listen to the same kind of music anymore. You know, that's an easy one for me. Like I changed what I was feeding these things, you know, like if I'm listening to, you know, I'm going to sell dope and I'm going to pimp hoes and I'm going to do all this and, you know, that's not going to be good for me. Then again, so it's like, you know, rah, 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 let's go kill everybody. kind of. So believe it or not, I don't listen to a lot of that. Um, 
it used to be on my old playlist but like today i i'm probably a little bit people look at me and be like you know what's on your playlist you know it, it just went from from um tupac to need to breathe you know what i mean which is a christian group and then i on there and i'm like you know so it's like i i um i actually make a a real effort to uh keep things healthy that go in there and like i'll 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 listen to um some self-help stuff on the radio you know what i mean or like um seminars you know um i'll listen to people um I'll, I'll listen to books on Audible, you know, and I'll listen to um, some of the Steve Harvey people mm -hmm. like that. I listen to him, you know what I mean? And then, um, but I also have a group of guys that I talk with on a regular, you know what I mean? And like, I'll, I'll vent to them or they'll vent to me, you know, which is very key because it, it's very rare that I have to vent the way I used to anymore. But like, when I really need them, they're there and you know the best thing about it is is that like they're not gonna be like yeah f this let's go to the bar and you know that person sucks and you should tell them off you know so like i i get around people that are like um solution based you know what i mean that give perspective you know and probably bring me out of my realm or just sometimes just to like dump if we need to you know or like have fun with and joke you know it's like uh so it's a good thing to to do and then um to be honest with you man if i'm in a bad spot um i'll, I'll straight up tell on myself i because mean, i know where they can end up i'll be like dude i am not in a good place i'm thinking about doing something stupid and i'll say exactly what i'm thinking about doing and the minute that comes out of my mouth it does not seem as appealing because i actually told somebody too because now there's a witness you know and there's accountability with that and it's also like it takes away the power of uh that actual dangerous thought which can in turn become an action if I'm not aware of it, you know, because uh, if I dwell on it and think about it too much, man, I'll, I'll run with it and then it can run away with me. Mm -hmm. I will lose everything that I have. That little girl that you saw run in before we started uh, recording this, you know, I don't want to not be able to hug her, hold her, kiss her, hear her voice. You know what I mean? I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be stuck behind a plate glass looking at her grow up. You know, so those thoughts come into my mind too. If I'm, if I'm in a bad space, you know, but like, if I'm, I just, I, I remember I, the sweet things in life are great. You know what I mean? The taste of some fruit, you know, the smell of the, the wind, you know, it's really weird because like, I like some of those sappy sentimental things. Be like, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually pretty cool, you know, I enjoy that stuff, you know, and it's like, cause no, that's all good, bro. I um I love the awareness. I love the transformation. Um, I love the uh, transparency and love the vulnerability. Um, your message is one to hear because um, you come from a tough spot, bro. I want to know now. Uh, you you kind of touched on it here shortly recently, but uh, what is this James like with his family, like? What is, what is family life like now? Um, family life is uh, it's like this. I don't know if you can see this picture. No, not really. There's yeah, a lot of, I can see it. I'm one of those dads that has, you know, um, multiple pictures of my daughter, my wife, 
friends, people, family. Uh, what is family life for? Like for me, it's um, it's genuine. Um, it's enjoyable. It comes with its struggles, like anything, you know. But um, yeah, that's another reason why I actually cry. I cry because I'm actually blessed with this. Absolutely, man. Um, I love it, bro. Um, I could think of like some of my situations, man, and um, I've gotten through that strictly because of uh, my family, my wife, my kids. And I told you when we get when we got started, man. Uh, when I was at my lowest point, that's what um, when God and came and spoke to me, like, bro, you got a family, and you got a purpose, and you got a story. Hey, man. So as we get ready to wrap things up here. Um, I deeply know that you're a man of God, a man of faith, and um, he played a significant role in where you're at today. Can you talk about, um, share a little bit about like your faith, how that provided strength into you being resilient and your transformation um, in your life right now? So if I were to think about it, like I, I would consider myself close to what a prodigal son would be. Mm -hmm. you know, like God never left me. As a matter of fact, he held me up when I was dying and because I walked away from him, you know, you know, because of his blessings, you know, I'm, I'm able to live a life that, you know, I love, you know, because of his work, his sacrifice, you know, everything that he's setting his Holy Spirit, angels, whatever, all these things, you know, I'm able to feel love, love myself, forgive myself. You know, God is a, the number first, the number one first thing that I wake up and think in the morning is God. You know, I was told that I was going to be a paraplegic, crippled. You know, I was also told that I was never going to see the, the light of day again. I don't know. There's so many different ways that I was told that life was going to be taken away from me. But yet here I am. And um, I didn't do this alone. Matter of fact, God put people in my life to get me to this point today. And I'm grateful that he actually did that for me, you know, because apparently he felt like I was worthy. They feel like I'm worthy. So now I'm going to start feeling like I'm worthy. You know, um, I'm truly grateful that God has brought me to this point in my life because uh, I didn't think it was ever going to come. I didn't think I'd experience these kinds of things, you know, and um, yeah, God's beautiful. He's making something beautiful for me, and I get to enjoy it. Now, I, I want to work on trying to keep it. Just because he gave it to me doesn't mean that that's it, you know. I want to figure out a way how to make it grow, how to make it elevate, how to help it blossom, because it's beautiful. Like, I see beautiful things today, you know what I mean? That's a really cool thing, because only God could have done that for me, you know. I didn't really, like I said, man, color lost color, taste lost flavor, you know. So they say, like, the salt was put back in something. Mm -hmm. like there's a, a new charge for life you know and I, I think that's beautiful so that's it if you can um when you look towards uh inspiration in addition to um your faith and belief um did throughout your process in your journey was there any um coaches any mentors a uh, book or anything along the, the line of your transformation that played a part in your life yeah yeah there was um so like 
I, I had a couple of really cool sponsors from these groups that I used to go to AA and NA. I got a really good one right now because I I'm actually practicing AA. Um, that's not for everybody, but if you find something out there that works for you, I'd say go for it. Get one of these people. Uh, when I was younger, like I said, the dude that helped me get into that program, his name is Rick, uh, Rick Cross. You know, he's a uh, he was solid. You know, I pray for him because I don't know where he's at today. I wish I did. You know, but um, everybody has a life. And we separated in ours, not by bad a quarter or anything, but you know what I mean? That dude made an impact on my life, you know? And uh, there's a book that I read. Um, I'm not a big Bible thumper. I don't read the Bible every day kind of thing. But, like, I got guys in my life that we send each other scriptures, you know, to wake up to. And, you know, I read the scripture when I wake up, and it's very helpful, you know? And then um, actual book that I, I read, it's uh, the one that I like, and um, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I hate to say that, but that's the name of the actual book, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all in like weird lettering for the F-U-C-K word, but that's the word, you know, and um, it's got some really cool stuff in it, you know. And then again, I do like um, other books on um, Audible about like the thinking patterns of like people and like um, self-help books and then like parenting books. Believe it or not, some of these parenting books that I'm trying to learn how to parent for my daughter are telling more about me than they are my daughter. And I'm like, holy crap, that makes so much sense man i'm screwed you know and i was like <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of these things uh, i seek out healthy things in knowledge and i've got some my daughter's godfather is one of my closest friends and he's got one of the he's got a rougher backstory than i do and this guy is solid you know and i bounce things off of him all the time you know he's one of my best friends and um he runs a multi-million dollar company, started it from nothing, you know, and talk about somebody who had a rough one. He was on meth for most of his life, you know, and uh, he's a shot out individual. And now it's he's he's a solid person. You know, I trust him enough to grant him my daughter if I were to die. God forsake that. But you know what I mean? So, like, there's people out there as long as I can in some way relate, you know, and even if I can't now because of you know, what I've been able to accomplish, I needed to relate to somebody to be able to talk to them. But um, some good books would be, you know, The Subtle Art, uh, my sponsor, some close dudes in my life, some friends, you know, and uh, of course, when I meet people like you and the guys that we're, we're a group part of, you know, certain individuals connect more than others. And it's okay if I don't connect with them, you know what I mean? Not in this way, you know, but um, just connecting back to God, and uh, that was my biggest thing, you know, because then he connected me with everything else. It's kind of weird to say. No, I totally get it, man. I totally get it. All right, bro. So um, you have made the ultimate 360 because <laughs> um, you could have easily not been here. You could have easily given up. Um but you made a decision to say, I'm going to live my life and change my life. Um, you have so much experience. You've seen it all. Um, you've experienced childhood trauma. You've been to jail. You have experience with drugs, um, suicide. Before we get out of here, man, can you share to our listeners some key takeaways, some key advice, some key lessons that you would like to share to our listeners? Um, connect with something that means something inside you and hold on to it 
you know, like if, if there's nothing out there, you know, don't give up, you know. Um, I don't know what else I would have done, but like I knew that if I had just one person, you know, then I could get through something and God always blessed me with that. You know what I mean? And it's okay to not be okay, you know. And then I had to figure out how to release, relieve myself from a lot of that pain. So I would seek out the good answers. I would seek out the ones that I knew, not the ones that were easy, but the ones that I knew were right. And then, because uh, there's that little voice inside of all of us, especially inside me. And I had to listen to it, you know, and I had to do some hard stuff. And I still have to do some hard stuff, but I'll seek out what's healthy, you know, because we know what's healthy and we know what's not. We know it's easy and we know it's not. You know, so I chose to do some of those harder things and they paid off with some patience, you know, and some perseverance. I stopped, get, I gave up on trying to have like instant gratification. Like I want a result right now, you know, because it's not always the case. It wasn't with me. Uh, I had to learn that I heard a lesson and it said, God's delay is not his denial. Bro, that was some real stuff because I waited years for some of this and it's still taking effect. You know what I mean? But um, the one thing I know is, is I had to tell myself I could do it. So there's something about speaking life, not only into everything around you or the others around you, but I had to tell myself that. And I had to really start to believe it because until I started to believe it, man, I really wasn't trying. And um, I needed to make a real effort on working on myself before anything else around me got better, you know, because I was the only one keeping me away from everything. Hope that helps. Yeah, man. Um, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for the advice. Um, I think uh, it's truly impactful, the message that you're sharing, as uh, you had some key experiences that are real life that I think um, a lot of people could um, resonate with. So as we get ready to wrap up and get out of here, man, um, if someone wanted to work with you, if somebody wanted to contact you and um, you know, just ask you to share your story or just uh, be a voice or um, do anything with you, man. Um, how can anybody uh, get in touch with you? So I have my my cell numbers. This is area code 561-574-3751. You can call me on that one. I have a business line you can also call. And that one is um, 561-906. I think let me come in here and just read it real quick. 906-6274 um text messaging also works um you can email me which is uh it's a that's a 50 50 man because i get a lot of spam and i don't always get my emails but um uh you can email me at a n e w c h i l d a new child 7777 at gmail and um that's a really old email, but that name is stuck, you know, so you can say hi to me that way. And um, also on Facebook, you know, James Graham, uh, look for the dude with the white hat, just a goofy smile. And uh, so if you want, that's how you can find me. You know. Gotcha, bro. Gotcha. All right, man. So uh, thank you for coming on, sharing your story. Um, especially from a men's point of view. Um, not too much men are vulnerable and transparent about some of the things that you talked about. So I truly, truly want to tell you thank you for that and coming on here, um, uh, sharing your story and being an inspiration. Um, 
I'm Michael Allison, your host. We're joined today by uh, Mr. James Graham. Until next time, guys, we love you. Peace. Later. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier. Thank God for clarity.